0: In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp. That was not how things were supposed to go. Wisconsin falls at Minnesota 23 13. They don't win the Big Ten West. They are not going to the Big Ten championship game. They will now have to wait to see where their bowl game will send them, or I should say where they'll be sent for their bowl game. It was a really, really poor performance uh, by, I think, uh, maybe all around to an extent. But really, offensively, it was not good. And um, Wisconsin runs for just 62 yards, the second fewest this season. 233 total yards, second fewest this season. Braylon Allen held the 47 yards on 17 carries. It was just a really, really poor performance by Wisconsin. We'll get into all of it. Uh, we'll get to your Twitter questions coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, but Jesse, I, I, among the more disappointing losses, I think, of Paul Chris tenure, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, it absolutely has to be. And it's not just the fact that it came against Minnesota and the, the Axe rivalry, but it's what was on the line. Wisconsin, certainly during the time that I've covered this program over the last decade, when they get in position like this, To win a game against a team that they should beat, you would expect them to beat, uh, they're able to do it. We've seen it a couple times before, two years ago, when Wisconsin needed to win the game against Minnesota to go to the Big Ten Championship back in 2014. Now, the offense this season has had a lot of issues throughout, and obviously it regressed at the absolute worst time. But certainly this has to go down as one of the the worst losses of Paul Chriss' tenure given the opponent and what was at stake, and also considering how well this team had played to put itself in this position.
0: It definitely had. They'd won seven straight to go from one and three to eight and three, oh, and two in Big Ten play to get to six and two. And, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people were looking at that Big Ten championship game as a potential uh, opportunity to get some revenge on Michigan after they upset Ohio State. And you forgot to take care of business yourself. Not even forgot. But you got outplayed, got outcoached, there were issues up and down. I think. I mean, we yeah. The defense only gives up two hundred and seventy four yards. It's it's twenty three points, and you know, and obviously the short field that Graham Mertz gave them with that interception. And I guess they should throw Kendrick Pryor in that uh, interception as well. But there were. I mean, there were issues on both sides of the ball. But it has to start with the offense, right? It has to start where Where do you think offensively they just did not match up? And I, I personally, and I and you know, there's going to be a lot of people blaming Graham Mertz, and that's completely fine, but the inability to get anything going on the ground after what they've done the last seven weeks was,
1: um, I don't know if shocking is the word, but certainly eye-opening. That's absolutely where it starts. Everyone on offense shares in the blame here, and Graham did not play anywhere near his best game, but to ask him to, to put it all in his hands and the wide receiver's hands and have the protection be good when the running game stinks, it's is not a recipe for success. You look at what Braylon Allen was able to do over the last seven games when he emerged as one of the best freshmen in the country, one of the best surprises, certainly. He ran for 1,013 yards during that stretch, more than any other Power 5 player. He averaged 7.9 yards per carry, scored 11 touchdowns. And then against Minnesota, he's held to 47 yards on 17 carries, 2.8 yards per rush. He didn't even get a carry after the minute 56 mark of the third quarter, and obviously some of that had to do with how much Wisconsin passed. But – Most of his carries went for three yards or less. Almost all of them went for three yards or less. And Paul Christ was quick to point out that in a game like this, the other team deserves a lot of credit. And I do have to give Minnesota a ton of credit. That's a team that was very good in run defense, came into that game ranked 12th nationally in run defense. The only two Big Ten teams that were better were Wisconsin and Ohio State, and they were able to shut Braylon down. And obviously the other thing that's worth noting, even though Braylon said that any injury issues he may may be having didn't impact him in the game. It's clear he hasn't been close to 100% healthy in a long, long time. You and I have seen it. You and I have talked about it going all the way back to the Rutgers game and maybe even before. He has limped off the field after a hard hit in every game over the last month plus. And for the most part of the season, he hasn't really been willing to acknowledge what's been going on. After the Rutgers game, I asked him, and he just described it as body soreness. Although I think anybody watching could understand it was – at the least, his lower body. But he said after the game, I've been having a little trouble with both legs, different parts on both legs throughout the year. And he said he was glad he had the opportunity now to rest up and recover and get his body back to 100%. Wisconsin just doesn't have a lot of options right now. <laughs> the, the, the top three guys coming into the season, none of them are available. They're either not healthy or not on the team. And you saw how little they used Julius Davis. He got in there, um, carried, didn't even carry the ball. He was in there for one snap, I think. So they were riding with Braylon and they didn't have a rushing attack. And that's where it starts.
0: Yeah. Braylon, I think maybe thought better of, uh, talking about his injuries. Cause apparently, uh, other people that talked to him after, you know, I was right there when you were there talking to him and he mentioned that. And then apparently later on, he was talking about, yeah, he was a hundred percent
1: going into the game. <laughs> so <laughs> he is not anywhere near a hundred percent. I think that's obvious to anyone.
0: Right. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's got issues with both legs. Some people took that glad i i have some time to recuperate as oh he's glad he lost that's ridiculously stupid on on uh, their part he's not obviously glad that he they lost it was kind of a i don't even want i'm not gonna say it's a slip but yeah you know he's got some time i don't think glad probably was the word but he's got some time to get his body back to 100 um i know he talked in on monday about you know it's not really a big deal that i had a spring season but he did have a spring season he played I think they played eight games in the spring at Fond du Lac, and certainly they weren't hitting at this level, but he's played football a bunch this year. I mean, if you, you 12 games, eight games in, in high school, so he's played 20 games of football this year, and he's the running back, so he's taken a bunch of hits, even if they're not necessarily at a high level at Fond du Lac, He was taking hits. He was getting tackled. They were going after his legs, and now he's uh, been through this the last eight weeks, and especially the last, what, since Rutgers, the last... Uh, you know, three games. Am I thinking that right? Yeah. Last three games, he's been the guy without Ches Malusi. And so, yeah, I think he's probably beat up and certainly is beat up and he does need a little time to recuperate. And he'll have that time as Wisconsin waits to see where they're going. I I think, you know, there's there's blame uh, in terms of the offensive line, because Braylon said they threw some things they hadn't seen at him on tape. And that's on the line to adjust. And we've heard that throughout the year where guys have thrown, you know, certain things at them and they haven't and they've adjusted. You know, earlier in the season they did adjust. Middle of the year they adjusted. And yesterday they were unable to find the adjustment to get it done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It 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 certainly falls on the line. It it's it's a lot of different factors, but we have seen what Braylon can do if he gets just a little bit of room. Uh, And he just didn't have that room. Minnesota was in the backfield a ton. Like I said, he just couldn't get going. Almost all his runs went for three yards or fewer. And I just think that the fact that they don't have anybody right now that they can put in there to help spell Allen, to give Wisconsin a one-two combination, what Wisconsin had when Ches Malusi was healthy or even earlier in the season, when they had a Jalen Berger and Isaac Arendo, it just means if it's not working for one player, it's not going to work for anybody. Brady Shipper was the only other running back to earn a carry one carry for five yards, and that's what they had to work with on Saturday.
0: Yeah. I will also say that it seemed like at times Minnesota knew exactly what was coming. There was one play where I think Graham made a check and the safety, the linebacker turned around the safety and the safety came running and <laughs> ran right into the spot where Wisconsin was running. So, I don't. I mean, I the, maybe they knew the check, maybe because he had made it earlier in the game and, and they knew what was coming in that respect, or maybe we're back to the accusations of um, <laughs> people being able to steal, steal signals off Wisconsin's sideline. But either way, I mean, it is it is one of those things where uh, it, it felt like they were running into a brick wall all game. And they, uh, passing game-wise, Graham missed some throws. We, you think about and, – and in the red zone. Like, the red zone issues re- reappeared as well. I mean, they went two for two in the red zone. But when you go two for two, and those are two field goals from inside the 10-yard line. That's not uh, a successful day in the red zone. They went over two on touchdowns. They had the one where you had um, through to Chimray and it was we thought it got tipped maybe at the line. It didn't get tipped. It was just a horrible throw and um, probably would have been a touchdown if he puts it on the mark. Had had a couple of throws early in the second half like that, too. And then obviously the one that got intercepted and may have been the play of the game. I don't know what you think on that. What
1: do you think was play of the game? Well, given what happened after that, it's hard to say that it wasn't that it gave well, Minnesota the spark after Wisconsin had to lead at halftime. I mean,
0: it changed I, I, everything. I mean, it it, yeah. it did. It gave them. A, it, they were. It was 6. You know, maybe Wisconsin scores, maybe they don't. But that that kind of gave them all the momentum, and it just felt like uh, Minnesota's rolling downhill from that point on.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Scott Nelson's early pick six was one of the plays, but uh, based on the way the second half played out, and and the effort that it took to make that play, I thought. What Ken, Kendrick Pryor, we had a chance to talk to him after the game. I thought what he said was was spot on. That if that, because I was watching on replay, and even on replay, I thought, oh, they're gonna they're gonna overturn this because Kendrick is down on the ground and it looks like he has the ball. And it's not really until uh, the Minnesota defender rolls over with it and is on his back that he has the ball. And Kendrick said, if they had called that a catch on the field, uh, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it, and it would have stayed a catch. But they called it an interception, and that's why it stayed an interception. Maybe you have different thoughts on that. No, I
0: agree. I completely. But I don't think,
1: like, I don't, I don't put that on Graham, even though that'll go down as his interception. He, he, and he talked about it. He said, "I'm not going to throw it out of bounds. It was the place where I needed to throw it to give my guy a chance." And you saw Kendrick leap up, and he had space to make the catch. It was just, it was a, it was a better play by the defensive player. It was. It definitely
0: was a really, really good play by that guy. And I totally agree. The idea that if, if Kendrick had been called a guy who caught the ball, it's staying with Wisconsin and it's a first down. And maybe that drive turns out differently. But again, they had their opportunities. They didn't take advantage of them, even without the run game. They had their opportunities to take advantage of them. They, they couldn't get it done. Um, I think it's probably worthwhile to discuss, and not even discuss, but at least mention the officiating. It was horrible both ways. I don't, I'm not going to call that play a horrible, a horrible choice because I think you go either way. But there were so many calls that were just really, really poor uh, decisions, whether it was the, the fourth and one or the, yeah, the, the uh, short yardage for Wisconsin where they, they went for it. It didn't look like he, like Braylon Allen got it and they gave it to him. um, Even after going and reviewing it, you had the uh, hold on John Chanel like a play later that brought back what, (laughs) like a night. a 17
1: yard Braylon yeah. Allen run where Chanel didn't hold anybody.
0: No, he he blew his guy up. I mean, there were there were a bad calls both ways. It was really really poorly officiated game. Uh, from my from my perusing of Twitter, apparently the uh, announcers were also horrible. <laughs> um, I, I, again, I did not uh, listen to the game for obvious reasons, but the, the way that things were playing out on on the timeline, and, and maybe that's the case when Wisconsin's le- uh, losing, but I. They were bad. They were really bad. I guess uh, both ways, just like the officials were. But defensively, yeah.
1: well, I just wanted to stay on one point about Graham. Um, I mean, yeah, it's easy to say there were calls that the officials messed up, and certainly they did. And also, Wisconsin, you score six points on offense, the first game, first time all season where you don't even score an offensive touchdown, which is surprising to look back on based on how terrible they were early in the season. Like, that's why you lost. But but back to Graham, I felt like it just looked like what we saw early in the season. And it's strange because he started the game five for five. If I'm not mistaken, he completed every pass he threw in the first quarter. But there were multiple throws. You mentioned the Chimray D.K. pass. It was third and three at the Minnesota 7, and he threw it behind D.K. And I think you're right. If it's on him, probably a touchdown leads to a field goal. There were several instances like that. He threw a pass behind Danny Davis. And granted, that shotgun snap was high. So that's on Joe Tidman, too. There was one in the third quarter where Mertz rolled to his right and he had Kendrick Pryor out there and and he bounced the pass in front of him. Didn't even give it a chance. And then I think there were, for whatever reason, there seemed to be some miscommunications at really critical junctures, which I I don't think we addressed before, but there was a third and eight at the Minnesota 30 and Mertz had DK and and DK broke out toward the right sideline. And Graham obviously thought he wasn't going to do that because he led him down the field. And I know they were talking about it on the sideline, but that incompletion in that moment brought Colin Larsch out to try a 48 yard field goal. Minnesota led 2013 Larsh doinks it off the crossbar and, and he misses. Um, and I mean, I can't really put that on Larsh. His leg is what his leg is. There, I, there was a reason why Wisconsin didn't try a 52 yard field goal earlier in the game and they punted and he missed a field goal last week. And I know he's been better this year. But that's obviously an issue. And then obviously the, the last one I wanted to mention was really kind of the final death blow. There were a few minutes left in the game and it was fourth down. And Graham threw a pass over the middle for Danny Davis, who wasn't even looking for the ball. It looked like Danny was doing something else. And so that, that seemed like they got their wires crossed, turnover on downs, and that basically ended the game. So, I mean, some of that is on Graham, but again, this belongs to everybody on offense for the, the poor performance.
0: There's another play that, we need to talk about, but I'm going to hold that off for uh, overreaction or no. Okay. You know I already exactly know what it is. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And we will get to that in a, f- in a few minutes. But I, d- before we get there, defensively, Wisconsin held Minnesota down to 75 yards rushing. I believe it was the uh, the fewest they've had this year. Uh, they averaged is two yards a carry. Their, their top tandem of, of Thomas and Irving had, you know, averaged like 3.1 yards a carry combined. They had, 94 yards on 30 carries it wasn't it's not like they ran it down their throat by any stretch but they were they were efficient enough that it put them in third and much more manageable situations than teams have been in this year against wisconsin and it allowed tanner morgan to um you know makes it it left open the possibility that they could run the ball on third and short and it left open the possibility they could pass it there were there were not a ton of just pin your ears back and get after the quarterback moments. I thought Minnesota, like they did in 2018 against, against Wisconsin down there, did a really good job of putting themselves in position to not have to be forced to sit back there and throw um, down it, a ton of times, be forced to sit back there and throw down
1: the field. I asked Scott Nelson about that after the game. That Basically, I said, I mean, even though they made some key plays, obviously Nelson had the pick six, Keanu Benton got through for a couple of sacks. Did he feel like in the second half they didn't take advantage of the opportunities that they needed to, and really what they had done over this seven game winning streak. And he, he said that this game felt to him kind of like the Michigan game earlier in the season for exactly the reasons you articulated that Minnesota was able to put itself in manageable third down situations, just like Michigan was, and therefore was able to convert more successfully Minnesota converted five of 11 third down attempts. And so the defense for as good as it has played throughout the season. And statistically uh, you look and say that they did enough to win. They weren't able to get off the field at those critical junctures. And they're obviously they're part of the reason why Wisconsin didn't win this game. I mean, it falls much more on the offense, but I think those guys on defense left the field feeling like they could have done more to help the team.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at Minnesota's third down percentage they went five for 11, which is probably one of the better percentages against Wisconsin, but it was even better when the game was still, I don't want to say still in, um, in in doubt because it was obviously into the fourth quarter was that way, but I think they started four for seven and it really put Wisconsin on their heels. I thought, and they were, I mean, they, I think it's all, we probably should mention that um, Colin Wilder uh, going out on the first play of the game uh, on a targeting hit that while very much, by the rules was targeting needs to be, uh, that's a, a rule that certainly needs to be looked at because, and it's gone, it's gone Wisconsin. It's gone in Wisconsin's favorite times. It's gone against Wisconsin at times. This time it went against them. There was no intent there. And the guy goes down, what are you supposed to do type of thing? You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I, I really don't understand, continue to not understand. And it's been like this for a long time and we can uh, scream until we're blue in the face. It's not going to matter. Cause that's just the way college football, um, wants it to be at this point, but Colin Wilde shouldn't miss that game because of that hit. He shouldn't miss the yeah. entire game because of that hit.
1: I, I, I feel like we discuss this every year and I, I couldn't agree more. I understand why the rule was implemented. I think everybody does, but at a certain point there has to be some common sense here. And the people who d- defend it, I suppose would say that it's, it's tough to judge intent. Obviously you can't know what a guy is thinking. However, the common sense in anybody would look at that play and say, that, I mean, Colin, he he led with his shoulder and i watching his reaction, by the way, it was pretty clear that he was shocked that they, that call was upheld because when he went to the sideline, his teammates were kind of patting him on the helmet and you could see him nodding his head as though they were giving him encouragement that it was understood that the play that he made would be acceptable and allow him to stay in the game. And again, it does go back to, I mean, the wide receivers lowering his head, the, the play speed is happening so fast. I don't know what you can do. I mean, I, I think of soccer, for example, where you get a yellow card and then a red card. I mean, maybe there's something that you could do in that capacity. Um, and it wouldn't be in all cases, or maybe it's like a flagrant one or a flagrant two in the NBA. Obviously, the officials at that point are judging what they thought the intent was. I mean, you give someone a flagrant two, it's because somebody did something that was egregious and they deserve to be kicked out. And quite honestly, I think that college football should have something like that because it's just a shame to see in any situation. But in that situation, Colin Wilder, a 60-year senior, gets his last shot to play Minnesota. On the very first play of the game, he gets kicked out for a play like that where that wasn't clearly what he was trying to do. It's just it's disappointing, I think. Uh, and it's it's kind of disappointing for the sport in general. I feel like that rule should be examined in the future. But we do say it often, and this is where we are.
0: Yeah, we, we say it all the time. But uh, John Tortue replaced him. I thought Minnesota did a great job, just like Nebraska did, of taking advantage of Wisconsin's aggressiveness um, and and that commitment to the run game because they were able to sneak the tight end out a couple of different times against the safeties. I believe Scott right after the interception, uh, Bram Merce's interception, uh, Scott Nelson. Uh, they, they took advantage of his aggressiveness and the tight end went right around him, put the ball down at the two and Minnesota, Minnesota scored the next play. There was a big play later, I believe, in the fourth quarter where John Torchio um, also got beat because of that aggressiveness, looking for the run and, and the tight end just swimming him and, and uh, for a big gain. So there, there were I think they did a really good job with their aggressiveness again. And that is something that um, when you put it on tape, uh, other teams are going to try it. And I thought that they did a really good job. Of taken advantage of it again, just like kind of like Nebraska did.
1: Yeah. And it's not like Minnesota threw the ball very often. You look at Tanner Morgan only threw 16 passes, but he completed 11 of them. He was pretty efficient. 18.1,
0: 18.1 yards per completion.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, they took advantage when they needed to, they kind of did just enough and against a Wisconsin team that couldn't do anything offensively. That's all it took.
0: Yeah. And as good as the corners were two years ago, um, I don't think they would probably say they had their best game yesterday. And I, I know Fayon yeah. Hicks probably took a, a, a lion's share of that because he gave up the the play down the sideline, which was a great, great catch by the Minnesota wide receiver. I believe that was on a third down early in the third quarter. And then, obviously, he was the um, trailer on um, and Bell's touchdown that, that gave Minnesota that 20-13 to 13 lead. Um, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I it, they ask a lot of their corners – in this defense, and for the most part, they've been able to stand up and do their job throughout the entire year. They're a big reason why Wisconsin ranked where they are and why they've been as successful as they are. They just didn't they did not have a good day.
1: Yeah, they didn't. And two years ago was, was Caesar Williams' best game. I think he had what four or five pass breakups. Yeah, that was a monster performance from him. Um, they left a lot out there today or on yeah. Saturday. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know
0: if this this qualifies as kind spilt milk, but uh, or even you know just being. I don't want to call it a sore loser, but you know, Caesar was talking about it after the game, how he thinks PJ Fleck teaches his guys to just draw pass interference penalties. He said, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, and they drew some. And so did Wisconsin. It, it went both ways. There were penalties, uh, certainly pass interference penalties both ways. I don't, I don't know where you would want to put that in terms of, um, you know, whatever
1: It is what Here's, it is. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's another Caesar Williams quote. I didn't tweet this out there. Cause I was just like, ah, Do I really want to use this or not? But um, he was talking about how disappointing it was that they weren't going to the Big Ten championship game. And he he said that, uh, this is his quote, it's kind of crazy to me that we could dominate the West and this is our only West loss. I don't know how a team that we dominated gets to advance despite their record. He's talking about we lost some teams on the East, uh, but I don't think it should go in their favor. And, And then the last thing he said is, I don't know how a team can feel knowing that they advanced when they weren't the best team. Um, obviously Iowa had fewer losses in the big 10, uh, so it doesn't matter what the head to head result was, but yep. maybe he's just salty. I thought that was kind of a funny quote though.
0: Well, no, I mean, I, he has every right to be, to be salty in that you know what I mean? But Iowa did, they lost two games. Wisconsin lost three. That's yeah. That that's all that, that really matters. It's, I mean, I think, um, if they wanted to open this up and, and not have divisions, I don't necessarily think that would probably be a good thing for Wisconsin.
1: No, uh, I, I think it, it'd be a challenge every year to get through the East. I mean, we saw what happened when they played Michigan yeah. earlier this year. So.
0: Yeah. So I mean, it's not like they haven't had success against Michigan. They have. They've beaten them um, several times in the last few years. But having to face them, having to face them every year, having to face Penn State every year, having to face Ohio State every, you know, potentially every year. But again, if they went away from divisions, and I know that there are some people that want them to do that, and maybe they will. At some point, um, winning the Big Ten, I think, would become a whole lot more difficult. But I also think it's worthwhile to note that I think the Big Ten West was ranked among the best co- best, best divisions in football, in college football this year. So, uh, okay. for whatever that's worth. But, yes. Uh, all right. Let's get into uh, some overreaction or no. Mm-hmm. Sending the punting unit out on fourth and one down two scores in the final four minutes. The game is a fireable offense overreaction or no.
1: I knew this was going to be the question. I knew the term fireable offense was going to be in there.
0: Well, I got, that's because I got, I I got text like real text, real DMS that that it's a fireable offense. So I'm, I'm throwing that to you. I'll let you talk about that. I I, overreaction or no fireable offense.
1: Ah, this is really tough. I, um, I'm not one who's going to sit here and say that anybody deserves to be fired over (laughs) one moment. Um, I think it's worth, um, unpacking that entire sequence. I'm going to (sighs) say, I'm not going to call for someone to be fired, but I would say it's an absolutely egregious error that is, uh, unacceptable.
0: All right, let's, let's, let's unpack it then.
1: Let's, let's go. All right. So so to me, this is one of the gaffes of the entire season for Wisconsin. And I I fully recognize that somehow Wisconsin managed to get a first down (laughs) after that. But that to me is besides the point, because this whole sequence never should have happened. It's fourth and one. Wisconsin has the ball at its own 21 yard line with 426 remaining in the game. They're down by 10 points. The punt team comes out there. You and I sit next to each other at a lot of these games looked at each other. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I think everybody understood this makes no sense. You're down by two possessions. You need two scores. There's four and a half minutes left. You have no business sending the punt team out there. Well, John Chanel winds up getting a false start penalty. It's fourth and six. And then all of a sudden the offense comes back out onto the field. And initially as it unfolded, the only explanation that I could think of was, well, maybe they were running a fake on fourth and one because clearly they would never punt, but there was no fake. Um, oh, and so, so Paul, Chris was asked about this a couple times in the post game interview session. And the first thing he said was that it never should have been even, they never should have even been thinking the punt. Um, <laughs> and he said that, um, we didn't handle it well, flat out. And he was asked a follow-up question about, so who is that on your special teams coordinator to, to make that decision? And Paul didn't mention Chris Herring by name. But his very short response and basically what he said was, yes, but that everything goes through me and it was my mistake. So I don't know if that is him sort of falling on the sword there. I mean, yes, he is the head coach, um, but the entire sequence was completely bizarre. And it would seem strange, at least in my mind, if like the special teams coordinator is making that decision and it doesn't go through Paul. I mean, Paul is ultimately the the decision maker there on whether you go for it on fourth down or not. I don't understand how there could be that bad of a miscommunication and how it could even get to the point that John Chanel drew a false start penalty because Chris said in the postgame presser that he was like trying to call timeout. I didn't see that. Maybe you did see that. But as soon as it was recognized that the punt team was out there, something should have, should have happened. It was bizarre and it was totally unacceptable. It doesn't. It doesn't make
0: any sense. His explanation doesn't make any sense. Like I, I, Paul Chris is the one that makes the call as to whether they punt or not, right? Like that. That every. It's his final decision. It's not like the special teams coordinator is the one that. Oh, we're going to go for it. You know what I mean? Like right. not, not just in this situation, but in any situation when it's fourth and one, fourth and two, whatever it is. Paul Chris makes that call. So I, I any kind of blame on Chris Herring, doesn't make sense to me. Um, That's what
1: I don't understand either. Is again like. <laughs> If it was up to him and he just sent them out there, how could there not be some type of communication with the head coach who's making the final decision? The whole thing doesn't make any sense.
0: No, the the explanation doesn't make any sense. The whole situation doesn't make any sense. Uh, Paul, Chris, up. I think. I think that's (laughs) that's where it's at. I mean, he he did. Like that's the only the only explanation in this situation is I up. I had a brain fart and I sent the I sent the punt team out like in that and to me that's (laughs) big. it's not a uh, so going back to the the idea this is an overreaction or no it's an overreaction to say it's a fireball offense but holy crap that yeah. was as bad as it gets and uh, again they were down 10 at that time they' the way their offense was playing they were not coming back they ended up getting the first down anyways but you that is that's inexcusable that is an, an absolutely uh for a veteran coach this isn't a first time coach is a veteran coach who is the play caller who would be making the play call on fourth and one the offense should have been on the field and, and instead, the punt team is on the field and they would have punted without the false start. They yes. would have punted without the false start and it would have made it even worse. But as is, it as is as big of a brain fart as I've seen a head coach have at Wisconsin. And that's saying something because Brett Bielema was the coach for seven years. And so <laughs> the fact that Paul Chris has one up Brett Bielma uh, in terms of game management says a whole lot in this situation.
1: It was not his finest, finest moment, not his finest few hours. And and that to me was just a microcosm of how the game unraveled for Wisconsin. Ultimately that sequence didn't decide the game exactly. As you said, Wisconsin wasn't coming back. They weren't going to win that game, but to have that happen when you're in charge, you call the plays, you make millions of dollars. uh, You deserve to get some criticism for that. Um, And I can only imagine what would have happened if they had punted the ball. $5 million actually, uh,
0: I believe 5.2 or something like that. That's how much it makes to make that kind of call. Um, I'm not going to talk about anybody else's uh, money, so I'll take that back. But um, it was horrible. It was a ridiculous decision um, and a a, a ridiculous time to make it. And it was on display for everybody. And now everybody has this idea. I mean, I think there were probably a lot of people that already had this idea of Paul Chris, but it, it is hammered at home that people, some, some people think he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And that, I, I don't yeah, necessarily... that's not fair. <laughs> that's when that's, we finish. I don't agree with that, but that certainly is serving into that narrative.
1: I mean, everything is magnified in the loss like this. So people can think that if they want to. You're ignoring a lot of the successes that he's had, but there, I can't excuse what happened in that sequence. There is no excuse for it. If
0: Army had come down and scored a touchdown... To make it twenty-one to twenty, not going for two would have been magnified, right? Like that. Like we we talked about it afterwards. We did. Uh, It obviously ended up not mattering. But in this situation, again, it doesn't matter. But those are the type of decisions I'm talking about, where where there are at least people have been like, "What the hell are you doing?" Type of thing. And I think that they are legit issues. This isn't me making this up. These are those are legit questionable decision-making by Paul Christ. And there are so many decisions that go into every single week and every single game and every single quarter, but those two are egregious and neither of them ended up mattering because Wisconsin was not going to come back in this game. And they ended up not, uh, our army ended up not getting the, uh, the hunt side kick, but those two stand out and do give people ammunition.
1: Yeah, I can understand it. I had forgotten about that army game. That feels like four years ago, but, uh, I I don't know what more to say on it. There are thousands of decisions that have to be made. And when you screw up on national television in front of that many people, um, it's easy to to make those comments. I mean, I guess my question to you or maybe to people listening is, then what would your solution be? And, I mean, I know there is a camp that thinks (laughs) – you know, I don't know what they think. If Chris, if Chris should go, which I think is completely preposterous, or if you should bring in an offensive coordinator, um, we'll see whether he makes any changes to his staff this offseason. But again, he's had a lot of success and I can understand why those moments are magnified in this one in particular.
0: I think I do think this game, um, and I think probably there's going to be uh, a number of people happy, quite a few people happy, perhaps, um, does uh, the, this seven game win streak has given them cover to just uh, everything's fine keep it right. going type of thing. This game makes it so you can't do that. Uh, at least in my opinion, you can't do that. And you don't want to overreact to one game, but you have to over you do have to react to what happened earlier in the year and you have to act, react to what this is and changes I think need to be made. You can't you, like if they had gone on and, and won this game go to the big 10 championship game perhaps, perhaps you could be like, nope, uh, everything's fine. We're going to keep the way the things are going. I don't think you can do that. So I, I do think that there there will be changes and uh, we'll, we'll see if those changes, you know, come <laughs> uh, where those changes come. I, I just can't imagine there won't be the way that things have played out this year and, and really played out over the last four seasons. I think you could probably, th- I mean, obviously 2019 was very, I mean, successful. You get, Big 10 West title, you go to the Rose Bowl, all that stuff. Um, but this is going to be the first time since the Big 10 game, Big 10 title game was put in place. It Wisconsin has gone two straight years without being there. They've, they haven't gone three of the last four and they've lost at least four games in three of those four seasons and probably certainly would have lost four at some point last year if it had been a normal year. So that didn't happen once in Paul Chris first years and, and we'll see how this season plays out. It's very possible that they uh, and eight and five, depending on what their bowl game looks like. And again, we'll, we'll find out what that bowl game is uh, coming up. Before we get into our Twitter questions, I just want to let uh, – there were a bunch of questions asking about what you would do to fix this issue, what would you do to this, what would you do that. We're going to save those for our second uh, episode of the week coming up here later uh, just because there are so many questions, and I, I don't want to skirt uh, around them. I think that there are there's a lot of conversation that can be had about – uh, all the questions that were sent in about that. And I, I want to get to that and I'd like to give it its, its due time. Don't have that opportunity right now. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll address all those issues coming up um, in our second episode coming up on Thursday. But with that said, we will uh, get into a few questions here. Herbig 19 says, was sending the, and we talked about this, but was sending the punt team out in the fourth quarter, the worst coaching decisions you ever seen from a badger coach. <sighs>
1: Maybe I have a, uh, I don't have a good enough long-term memory, but yes, (laughs) it was inexplicable as we've discussed, even as it was happening. I was like scrunching up my face, trying to figure out what anyone could be thinking in this moment. And the answer was they weren't.
0: Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, rarely do you get to see people in a press box saying the exact same thing all the time, but it was what the heck. And it wasn't the heck, the, the word heck was not used. So um, it was, yes, it was not great um, by any stretch. I, <laughs> maybe uh, this is going way back and, and I, my mind is not probably remembering this exactly correct, but in 1996, they played Northwestern and that was obviously Ron Dane's freshman year and they were trying to run out the clock and instead of kneeling the ball, they handed it t- to Dane and there was a fumble in Northwestern Grabbed it and then scored the winning touchdown uh, on offense. I think Barry would Barry Alvarez would say that there was not enough. uh, There was still going to be time left on the clock, and that's why they couldn't kneel it. But my memory is not positive on that, so I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. But that, I mean, I I guess you could put that that one up there. Brett Bielema only because of how it turned out. Brett Bielema calling timeouts at the end of the Michigan State game to try and get the ball back for his first offense and instead it leads to, uh, Michigan state have enough time to complete the hail Mary to beat them in 2011. Again, that that's only because of how it turned out. Yeah. I I think that's what I got, Jesse. Anything. Do you remember like the end of the 2011 game at Michigan state?
1: Uh, I don't remember all the sequence. I know it was Kirk cousins, Keith nickel (laughs) and, uh, the most inexplicable three loss season in Wisconsin football history. I know that.
0: Yeah. Josh says, Wisconsin coaching, the refs, Minnesota coaching. How much credit does each deserve for the Gopher win?
1: Uh, I mean, I put Minnesota coaching and execution by the players at number one. I think they did their job. I think they took away Wisconsin's biggest strength offensively, left them with nothing because the passing game, when it has to be the savior for the group, hasn't been able to do that consistently. I, I'll, I'll put the officials last. Um, It's easy to blame the officials every week. They made a lot of mistakes, but this is Wisconsin's fault that it didn't win. So I'll go Minnesota coaching one, Wisconsin coaching two, officials three.
0: Badger Beatdown says, the offense looked like it did the first few games of the season. If they don't have a stud healthy running back, offense and play calling just too subpar to compete. Do you agree?
1: I mean, it's like cutting yourself off at the, at the knees when you don't, have, I mean, that's what Wisconsin is, is you, you need a stud running back. We've seen what happens in the years when they don't necessarily have that. And I think it does expose some, some flaws or areas for improvement for the offense, but like, that's a big part of the success. So, mean, yeah, they're not going to be as good without that. It's, it kind of goes without saying, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. You know, I mean, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, and Jake Ferguson, too. They caught 14 passes. Now, not enough explosive plays. Um, I don't know. Sure, they could use a, a a Quintez Cephas. I mean, but he was a once-in-a-decade wide receiver, maybe even longer for Wisconsin. They don't have that, and, and this is kind of what you get.
0: Taylor says, it feels like every time Jesse Temple speaks confidently about the Badgers getting an easy win against an opponent, it never goes according to plan. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you say he's giving other teams too much bulletin board material?
1: Uh, I would not say that because it seems <laughs> incredibly unlikely that anyone knows that this podcast exists uh, outside of the ba- Badger fandom. I, I don't say, know that Nebraska now. players are listening. Uh, also, I've said several times in the last handful of weeks that Wisconsin was going to roll, and they did roll. So, like... I, I think I, it's not my fault. And I think our picks against the spread have gone pretty well. So maybe I'm just bad when it comes to picking some of the Wisconsin games. I don't know.
0: Yeah, for, for the most part, uh, against the spread with Wisconsin, it hasn't necessarily always been great, but picking the Wisconsin games have been okay to an extent. Not this week, obviously. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah. Trying to, I'm trying to gauge your blame level. <laughs> probably say like a, a, probably six out of 10. I mean, wow. Yeah, you're, you're, you're up there. You're up there. Uh, I, I certainly do think people go dive. I, th- I certainly think there are people on other staffs who go dive into podcasts to find exactly what uh, certain people are saying and then use that as bullets of more material. Certainly.
1: Right. No. Am I wrong? I hope you're wrong. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure what I hope. I guess that'd be good for our <laughs> listenership numbers. <laughs> Did Minnesota
0: make adjustments against the run? Was Braylon Allen hurt? This seemed to be the major difference between Nebraska and today.
1: Well, Braylon did mention, and you had touched on this before, that they had they threw some things at Wisconsin that they hadn't shown on film this season. I don't necessarily know exactly what that was. Uh they were just better. I mean, and Braylon's been hurt, but I don't I don't know how much I want to like Lend credence to that that because he's been limping for a month and been kicking butt. So I think it was more about what Minnesota did.
0: I agree, but I also do think, especially since Ches Malusi went down, that they've relied on him just uh, more, right? Like, he oh didn't yeah, have, he didn't have more than twenty carries before Ches, and then the previous two games he was well over that. Obviously, didn't get to that mark this week. Did you? Th- this is just this is not a question, Twitter question, but do you think they gave up on the run too early? Obviously, they were not I, having this having the success, but they came out at one point. They had thrown like ten straight times.
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised by a couple of things, and I had mentioned this before. That when you go back and you look, that Braylon's last carry was with 156 left in the third quarter. Now he was involved in the passing game. Um, he did catch a couple of those passes later in the game, but then also when I went and looked, and Graham had thrown 38 passes. Um, you know, it's not like they were down by four scores. I mean, part of it may just be that you realize that the run game isn't effective, and maybe they know more about – they certainly know more about what's going on with Braylon and and what he could give the group. They didn't have anyone behind him that could be effective. So I think there were a lot of factors in play. But just looking at it, I mean, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't go – they didn't try a little bit more on the ground given that it was still a a one-possession game, two-possession game for that second half.
0: Yeah, I mean it was it was still at one possession. It didn't get to, it, it did not get to a two possession game to what, like five minutes left? Six six minutes like when did I mean when Minnesota kicked that the the field goal to make it twenty three to thirteen. It was six oh eight left. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, so, I mean they to to for I mean, yeah. It, either way, I mean they had the ball a ton to start the fourth quarter too, right? So it's not like Wisconsin had the ball in that situation, but I, I kind of thought that they may have given up on a little bit early, but again, they they weren't successful. Uh, but the 22 carries it had was the fewest in a game this season, just for, for what it's worth. Um, Grandpa Jay says, I know it's frustrating, but the season gave me joy in the win streak. Am I lame for that?
1: No, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, if you can find joy in any parts of life, then I think you're doing something right. I can understand both perspectives. Um, if I were a fan, and I'm not, um, I would probably come away feeling more disappointed and discouraged than I would encourage based on the seven game winning streak, because of what you thought the team was going to be at the start of the season, what they'd been able to do get, to do to get to this point, And the fact they lost their biggest game of the season to, to their rival and aren't going to the big 10 championship. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't feel what you feel about what Wisconsin was able to do to turn things around. Cause certainly the season could have been much better, but Hey, after the way things started through four games, it could have been much, much, worse. Much, much, much worse. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, there were some people saying they were going to go to a bowl game. Yeah, exactly. it was le- it was a legitimate question. I'm not going to lie. Like, Wisconsin went into that Illinois game. Um, that was the start of the winning streak. That was when Braylon got involved a little bit more, if I'm not mistaken. That was the fifth game of the season. Yep. I mean, I-, I remember thinking, like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Illinois might win this game. And if Illinois wins this game, I don't know if Wisconsin's going to a bowl. So... I think that was a, certainly a legitimate concern and maybe we overreacted a little bit when you, when you look back on it and I know Penn state hasn't been very good since then, but like they were losing to some pretty good teams and maybe Wisconsin was a good team after all, they just needed to play some other opponents, but yeah, it was a, it was a real conversation about, are they going to go to a bowl
0: this year? And they will. And we'll find out what that bowl game is next Sunday after all the championship games are played on Saturday night. Perhaps the, the best thing about at least, I mean, if you're, a Wisconsin fan. The best thing that happened uh, yesterday was that yes, Wisconsin lost, but absolutely nobody realized it because of all the other things that were going on in the country. Um, especially, obviously, the thing that happened in Ann Arbor, with Michigan, beating Ohio State. You had Alabama coming back and, and somehow winning uh, against Auburn. Then you had Bedlam at night. Like it was, it was a day full of uh, really exciting football games. And uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, uh, largely. Overshadows, uh, Except in Iowa City, of course, because they get to go to the Big Ten title game for the second time. They win the West outright, and uh, even though, obviously, losing to Wisconsin. But one more here. Uh, P.A. Badger asks, how much of a TV slash media whore is P.J. Fleck?
1: <laughs> how did I know you were going to sneak this question in there?
0: I told you. I told you. As soon as I saw yesterday, I was, gonna, I was I was going to use it. He is the biggest TV and media whore in college football. And, uh, and this game makes it that we, it makes it so he has even a a little bit more ground to stand on, uh, beating Wisconsin for a second time in what five years. So, uh, he's done what a lot of coaches before him could not. And it gives him the opportunity to, to push this in everybody's face. And, uh, you know, he will, he is as annoying as they get when it comes to, to head coaches and, um, I'm glad that this year is over so that I don't have to potentially, potentially, uh,
1: yeah, potentially have to see his face uh, until next July. Well, Zach, I really wish that you would tell us all how you, how you really feel.
0: Look in this, in this situation, I know you're the, you're the big J you're the, you're the journalist here. You're the one that has to be uh, show no bias and everything like that. I'm in radio. So um, my, my bias when it comes to PJ Fleck is on full display I do not like him. I do not like what he stands for. I do not like all the up in your face type of uh, crap. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, that's that's just my opinion of him. Uh, he's done really good things for Minnesota. They seem to like him. The game day atmosphere at Minnesota was was pretty good yesterday, and uh, that's all because of what he's been able to do. But he is as annoying he is as annoying as they come. And um, it, whether it was for Minnesota or nebraska or any other team in the country he was annoying at western michigan he's annoying at minnesota he's going to be annoying when he leaves minnesota and goes someplace better that's just that's just who he is and um some people
1: are drawn to that and i am not i think that's all fair ultimately if his players rally around it and they win games then he's doing something right and it's the complete opposite of paul chris You don't see Paul at the front of the line when the team runs out and you don't see Paul's face on everything involving Gophers football or Paul making slogans, but it seems to work for Minnesota. It certainly worked against Wisconsin in two of the last four games. um, And that's what Minnesota football has become. Can I throw one last thing out here though? What's your take on the, uh, (laughs) the, the, the post game celebration, the public address announcer comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention please? And they play jump around. Cheesy, stupid, they have no. every right to. What's your take on that? I was like, I can't believe they're doing this, but then I every, can. Every
0: right to the same. I mean, they certainly not an original idea. Well, all we have to do is go back and look at Illinois two years ago. Illinois did the exact same thing. So it's not like it's original, but those are, me- those are memories that the people down that field are never going to forget. And if it was flipped around the other way, I think if uh, Wisconsin fans would be talking about how awesome it was. Uh, that said... You can guarantee, you can guarantee that that is going to be all over TVs next next November. That is going to be everywhere. That is going to be uh, there. May be pictures of it. Uh, a continuous running loop where the axe usually is in the Wisconsin locker room. There's going to be a continuous loop of that and uh, of Minnesota celebrating. There is there is no doubt about that, right? I mean, this is this is going to be that that's that's 2018 on steroids. Yesterday,
1: um, oh, one hundred percent. I expect it to. We had talking point the entire off season. And uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. I thought it was kind of funny and it's what I would expect for Minnesota, but also uh, they have every reason to do it and they earn the right to do it. And hey. Keanu Ben said the same thing. I asked him after the game, whether he knew that happened and he didn't, cause he was off the field, but he was like, Hey, we would celebrate too. It was 18 years in the making. So, Hey, uh, when
0: something happens every 18 years, you celebrate it. And they certainly did. And now Wisconsin will have uh, all that motivation this offseason that drove them in the offseason of 2018. And we'll see um, um, how they respond to it. They responded to it quite nicely in 2019 and getting it back. And um, you don't forget losing the axe. Uh, Jack Sanborn has talked about it. 2018 did not go away. I'm sure 2020, uh, 2021 will not go away. Uh, Those are just things that they have to they have to own. They didn't play well enough to win the game. Minnesota did. They own. They were the better team yesterday, and uh, Wisconsin has to, has to live with that. No Big Ten West title, no Big Ten title game appearance and potential uh, title for them either. Uh, they will now just, as I said before, wait for their bowl game. And I, I've, I've seen Outback Bowl. I've seen some other uh, possibilities. We'll see uh, next week. But, uh, again, we will talk about all the, all the questions you guys sent regarding next year and the, uh, the direction of the program. We are going to get to. We will get to that on Thursday. And uh, we'll probably spend the entire episode talking about it as um, there are a lot of questions, I think, facing this team, facing this program, facing Paul Christ over the next month or so. Until then, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.